Hello, you guys. Welcome to episode two of the Archers podcast. I'm your host, Madison. Hi, I'm Katie. And we are here today to discuss the Red Taylor's version rollout and all of the craziness that has ensued since it came out. As we know, all of the vault tracks that were unreleased prior have now been released and they are honestly super gay. (laughs) All of them. That's right. All of them. Every single one. <laughs> no, yeah. They all have a Gaylor explanation. I really feel like the vault tracks were for the gays. Like, yeah, I think that in general, this rollout uh, has really been like giving everybody a little bit of everything that they want because there are parts of it that were definitely for her straights, but there are definitely parts of it that are for her gays, her wide eyed gays, her wide eyed gays. That would be us. No, really, though, I do. I do feel like the all too well short film was to feed the hetero fans and to feed that that fantasy and then I bet you think about me was kind of like the cherry no pun intended on top for um for the Gaylers and now that I've rewatched the um all too well short film a few times I do find some more queer themes in there that I think are very cryptic underlying things that um have a lot to do with like the writing and the cinematography of the film itself but it's definitely there if you look close enough I love that I really can't wait to hear your interpretation of the all too well uh, short film because it did wreck me and a lot of things have happened (laughs) since I saw it that have repaired me but uh yeah I can't wait to go into your take on that okay let's try to go back to those first few hours at midnight eastern or oh my god it feels like ages ago it was yeah, not long years. ago at all but it feels like <laughs> so long ago yeah so the, when it first came out what what was the first thing you did at midnight or you know when it came out at 10 p.m pacific time i actually was one of the people who was watching her appearances on like jimmy and me too Seth Meyers. Yeah. yeah i think yeah we were both um streaming i think and immediately on jimmy fallon i mean the album came out and i was still finishing watching her interview on mm-hmm. um that show and she had actually made like a reference to Wonderland or something in it she was like um you know my fans are really great at creating theories I love scrolling on TikTok all day and watching them so come down the rabbit hole with us the water's fine we're all mad here yes we're all men here when she said that on jimmy fallon i my jaw just dropped for those of you in the gaylor community you know that the rabbit hole and any alice in wonderland references are are pretty huge and if you're not in the gaylor community you'll just have to take our word for it that there's a lot to do with alice in wonderland that encourages kind of like our queer readings on things so for her to speak about her fans and fan theories Mm -hmm. in the same breath as making two Alice in Wonderland references it felt like she was actively patting us on the head yes um, as like a, yes. validating us yes it did it felt like she was directly holding her hand out and being like I love my Gaylers yes <laughs> I think I texted you and I was like she did not just say that I know it was um, amazing. but that was before I even that was before the album even really came out or before I heard it and I was like okay this rollout's giving gay like let's go I'm ready <laughs> that's right <laughs> and then her Seth Meyers appearance yeah. wearing her Princess Diana revenge dress. Yeah, that was interesting. She later denied that it had any correlation that she just liked the dress, but who really knows? Yeah, I mean, okay, fine. She can deny that. But the reality is, is that like in the cultural context, considering Spencer just came mm-hmm. out starring Kristen Stewart and Spencer has, spoiler alert, it has like a queer subplot. 
it. And right. just like little black dresses in general are like, because of Princess Diana, considered, you know, revenge pieces. The fact that she's wearing a dress like that, I mean, I just don't think any costumer, any dresser would not know yep. the context around it. That's what I was going to say. Even if she didn't know the context or didn't mean for it to be that, the stylist that she works with definitely knew that context. There's no stylist <laughs> that doesn't know about Princess Diana's revenge dress. You're right, though. It's that little black dress trope that came from that. I totally feel like it was like low key on purpose, but she didn't want to like say that verbatim. Definitely. Yeah. I think that comparing yourself to Princess Diana is not a great look. Um, yeah. But in general, I see a lot of comparisons between Taylor and Princess Diana that I could go on and on about. Um, but, anyways, that was a, a great moment as well. Totally. Um, oh, also. As- Jimmy Fallon calling her Betty. What do we think about that? I mean, we were texting in the moment and we were both dead certain that it was an Easter egg about the All Too Well short film. I don't know if it was. If it was, it's one of those uh, mystery ones that I still haven't, Mm. no one's uncovered yet. But in general, calling her Betty, what a strange take. Like what? Especially after Gaylor's really adopted the fact that she was James. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also, we've questioned that too, so... You know, even Hetler's and doing a straight interpretation of the trilogy from Folklore with Betty, James, and Augustine, even Hetler's have positioned Taylor as James in a lot of theories. So for Jimmy Fallon to call her Betty, that was really a thinker. And I feel like there's two explanations. One, Jimmy Fallon knows something and called her that for some reason. Or two, which is kind of where I'm leaning, the second possibility is that Jimmy Fallon doesn't know anything and Mm. just was trying to be like quick on his feet coming up with a little trying to uh, make like a reference exactly <laughs> yeah I could see either one I could no I could see either one too but the face she made after he said it was really interesting and that could That's go either true. way too it could be her being like oh you're so far off I'm not Betty what a funny thing for you to say on live yeah. TV or it yeah. could be like oh my god I can't believe you just said that now everyone knows that I'm for sure Betty wow. but really I have no idea I can think of it both ways and I have thought of it both ways yeah. so I don't really know I mean I'm really have the opinion that she is James, Betty, and Augustine because all of us have have been kind of on the both sides of that. She fits into every like role of that love triangle, yeah. and in her life too, she probably has fit into each role. Maybe we should do a whole episode on the love triangle one day. I would love that. I and really discussing would. like the different viewpoints of how it could possibly be. Do you just a quick aside? I feel like listeners are going to be like, we want to hear about Red. Um, I know. <laughs> Have you found yourself really having a favorite of the trilogy, like of the three? So part two of that question, are you asking the characters or the song? I mean, I guess characters. For me, my favorite is both the character and the song. Yeah, but I mean, um, I guess you could theoretically have diff- favorite characters, different songs. Ah, uh, damn. Honestly, I really enjoy Cardigan from like Betty's perspective. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that for some reason. I love how Cardigan encapsulates the entire story without context. Like if you just listen to August or Betty, the songs, you don't quite understand the context of the entire story. But if you just listen to Cardigan, you can kind of still paint that picture of like a love triangle, or at least for me. Well, I actually, when I first heard Folklore, when it came out, I was pretty much with you. Like Betty was so like just the perspective of whoever's singing, of Betty singing Cardigan, Mm -hmm. um, just that line when you're young people assume you know nothing like I just oh that kills me I just love that that's That's exactly 
most intense, poetic kind of like thesis statements for Taylor Swift's music in general. Just how people do not believe young women. And just, I love the juxtaposition between vintage tea, brand new phone. Brand new phone, high heels, cobblestones. I just Mm -hmm. love like all these juxtapositions that like boomers just are constantly criticizing young people for like, oh, she's wearing a vintage tea, but her phone's brand new. Uh, And anyway, so I love that. And I do still love Betty, but I think in the last year and a half since it's come out, I'm way more in my like August place. Mm. So I feel like Augustine kind of like the free, unattached, nostalgic, like salt air. That's really where I'm Like youthful. Yes. And I love how she describes August too of like, everyone's just looking for love. Like August just wanted love too. Yeah. It wasn't, August was never the bad girl in the situation and it was never like this vindictive move. Like August really just wanted to feel that too. And that's all it was. I love the love triangle trope so much. We should definitely do a whole episode on that. Back to Red TV. Sorry we had like a tangent there, but like folklore is just so iconic. We're still talking about folklore. It already won like album of the year. Um, Oh, today Evermore just got nominated for album of the year for context of when we're recording this. That's right. So get ready for a Grammy Evermore episode at some point in January. It is one of my favorite albums by her. So I am very excited about this nomination. So yeah, you were very distraught by that um, all too well short film. I remember texting you and you were just like, I just need a minute. Like, I just need a day. Like, that was a lot for me. It was too straight. Like, yes, yes. My wife and I watched it together. We watched the countdown at 7 p.m. Eastern Mm -hmm. and we were so excited and it was traumatizing. Both of us have, it's really hard for me to talk about it, not from the perspective of both of us, because we haven't really have just been like reeling together about it. But I mean, I don't know. I just personally have had so many experiences where like older men are these like negative presences in our life but like because of compulsory heterosexuality it's like they're given so much power in not only our lives as a whole like you know like so much social power in situations like men are always to believe like not even just that but because of compulsory heterosexuality it's like so much of my life was spent trying to get the man who would drop my hand to like love me want me think about me and it was never because the guy was that interesting or that Mm -hmm. attractive or that fun but it was because women are told from when we're born that to be the object of a man's desire is the ultimate goal for us totally like that's your place yeah our place is like you know being a little puppy following men around and doing whatever they want and being the ideal woman woman for them so like this short film in general is just this 19 year old girl literally like we don't see any any conversations between them that are validating or really represent loving at all no no lovingness no kindness no like real vulnerability or intimacy from any perspective other than like physical attraction yeah and which i think is another good point like we talked about how gross all the makeout scenes were and how like someone called it um in the gala Mm -hmm. group someone called it forest porn and it still makes me laugh and that's exactly what it felt like at some points and i think that was absolutely intentional i don't know if everyone caught on to that but i think it was totally intentional to make the audience be like 
okay, why are we watching them make out for the fifth time? Because that's really all that was happening. It really was just this physical thing happening. No, like you said, there was no kind conversations or positive, like emotional connection there. No, it was all just like, so she had, she was like his object to mm-hmm. be like paraded around, not even paraded around, but like kept as a secret in the woods far away from everyone. And then as soon as she is, you know, in the midst of like his cool friends that are all also 10 years older than her. I mean, mm-hmm. when he said, I haven't seen these people in 10 years, I was like, okay, so she was 11 when you were hanging out with these people last. Like, that's insane. That's, that's just bananas. Well, and I like, didn't even catch that. That was definitely intentional to, to place it on the timeline. Exactly. Like, just the idea that like he wouldn't be giving so much attention and care to his partner who is way younger than everyone else. Like, the fact that he would immediately, you know, forget when he dropped his hand. Like, it was just so re-traumatizing. Oh, to he totally to didn't forget. That was him gaslighting her. And said, exactly. no, that didn't happen. I didn't drop your hand. You're crazy. That argument in general was just unbearable to witness. I study art. Like, I study media. At no point do I think that Taylor was bad or wrong for directing this film. Like, I don't think that, like, she's promoting this as, like, a very healthy, good relationship. So just because I'm, like, physically uncomfortable with it and I hated watching it doesn't mean that I think she's bad for making it. Like, I really think that she was trying to portray a certain type of relationship that happens between men and women in general, but especially young women and older men. That's just literally the epitome of compulsory heterosexuality. And anyways, and I especially <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hated it in the best way like um especially in the industry too I think she really took this opportunity of like oh wow okay this PR stunt with um this person that I was with that was way older than me like at the time that the song came out and like the PR narrative around it I can take this 10 years later and make a social commentary on how wrong it was at that time and how no one told me it was wrong especially she mentioned on Jimmy Fallon they were talking about how when she was on SNL for the first time she didn't get any advice and that no one no one gave her any advice for how to be on SNL or how to act or what to do when she was only 19 and like the same age she was when she was in like an age gap relationship like that and in that interview she references that and says like four times she's like no one gave me advice no one helped me there was no one there to tell me what was right or wrong I was only 19 and she makes a point to say that and I think it also correlates to the point of the all too well short film which is that she was too young at that time and this is the reality of the relationship that the song has been built around in the media and people love to shit on like her her older partners and everything but no one's talking about the like actual root of the problem which is that the industry perpetuates these relationships and allows them to happen and gasses them up to the point where people are comfortable standing relationships like this talking about relationships like this without acknowledging the actual age gap between them and I think she was like I can take this as an opportunity to make a statement this short film this music video I can make it what the fans want which is this like cinematic experience but also I can really make a statement here, especially considering there's still a lot of age gap relationships in the industry. Yeah, I think she really was trying to make a point with it. The reality is, is that so much of it is shot so beautifully. Like it really is when someone called it forest porn, what I thought they meant was the beautiful shots of the forest. No, that's what I thought they meant too. In the context was like, oh my God, all the shots of the forest were so pretty. It was like forest porn 
Um, yeah. And it is a double meaning because it totally was forest porn, but it was also forest porn. And just shooting it on like 35 millimeter, just how gorgeous it all was. Like it was so sumptuous and like such incredible fan service. And then, you know, classic Swifty Easter eggs, like the car they're driving in being a 1989 uh, model. Dropped car. your hand, the reference to champagne problems. That was yeah. interesting. Um, I still don't really know the connection between that or if there is really a heavy connection or if she just used the line but I think it is interesting to reference champagne problems in a song that was what she says was written in 2010 right okay so yeah let's get into that um (laughs) I feel like truly I'm all over the place here as far as it being written in 2010 or 2011 and versus what a lot of Gaylers have I seen any Swifties and like Hitler speculate that it was written now. I don't think so because they're Hitlers and Swifties tend to never, ever, you know, take what she says, not as the word of God. They or take like, it at very face value. They don't yes. critically think about anything. Yes. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of Gaylers say there's no way that this could be written in 2010 because of all of the kind of like more modern uh, references to it. I mean, personally, when I, heard just between us did the love affair meme you too which she kind of leaked in a tiktok a few weeks ago out of context so we had no idea that it was from the all too well 10 minute version when i read that line i was like that sounds straight out of reputation that must be a reputation vault track she's wearing the rep ring in that TikTok. yes yeah. yeah so when she writes just between us did the love affair meme you too she is wearing the like snake reputation ring and it just sounds like so much more of her current lyrics so that did make me wonder if she turned the like mythical 10 minute version of mm. all too well that she supposedly sang and ad-libbed back in 2010 if she didn't actually verbatim copy those words but instead she was like okay how can I create this 10 minute song that essentially becomes the mythos of all of my relationships in the media yes and like every single relationship that the media media has perpetuated I've been in and like told people I've been in and all of the rumors how can I make a mythos like the ultimate breakup song I think that if she did that that is still very beautiful and good and does not make it impure yeah I agree I I'm still really I mean I do think she definitely wrote some of these lyrics more recently I can't imagine 2010 or 2011 Taylor Swift just mad living fuck the patriarchy during a rehearsal even if the person she was with actually had a keychain that said that I can't even see her like saying those words at that time but I totally agree I don't think it takes away from it at all and thank you so much for saying that it was like a mythos of all of her relationships in the media Mm. because I totally I think it was I think it was like feeding it's like feeding the press it felt Mm. like she was literally serving dinner to the press and like here write about whatever you know you already want to because all of these Mm. lyrics fit perfectly for you so go for it and also I said fuck the patriarchy this time so make sure you squeeze that into the article too and I'm gonna sell a $30 keychain that says it on it too you know so it, it gives her like an excuse to make this like this her like feminist splash with this release too but yeah I don't think it reduces the value of the writing at all regardless yeah. of when it was written and I am not 100% sure I haven't seen this discourse so don't take my word for this that Hitlers are angry at us suggesting for some reason that the lyrics are new but I would yeah. assume people 
would feel some type of way of us suggesting that she's like lying or like fabricating the truth by saying, you know, I wrote these in 2010. That's fine. She does it all the time. It's what you have to do for PR. But yeah, it doesn't reduce the fact that she wrote those lyrics and that the song is pretty good. My personal thoughts, I don't really listen to it much, but I do appreciate that she has a 10 minute song number one on the Hot 100 right now. I mean, I think that was the end game goal. I'm glad that you said that you don't really listen to it that much because I'm very happy to provide the opposite end of the spectrum. The 10 minute version of All Too Well is so far and away my favorite song on the album. Oh my god. It's like numbers 1 through 25 of my favorite songs. I've been listening to it constantly. I honestly feel directly responsible for it being number one. Seriously, I just I love it so much. I have yet to listen to the like final verse that starts with I was never good at telling jokes. I've yet to like listen to it and not cry is what I'm saying. Oh, like, I was I like, cry. what do you mean? I was like, that's what my do you favorite mean? No, part I'm of so that. sorry. I got caught up in my own little emotions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I listen and cry every single time, especially when she just, when she says in the cities, barren cold. My God. I just, I, I still remember. remember the first fall of fall snow of and snow. how it glistened, how it glistened as, as, it, as fell. it fell. That's my favorite part. Uh, yeah, me too. It's so good. It's so intense. I just, oh, I love it. I could watch. I watched her SNL performance of it probably like a hundred times. It's my favorite ball track. It's my favorite track on the album. Wow. Uh, wait, yeah. I'm so happy to hear that because yeah. it really, it didn't stick with me. And I don't know, I wasn't a huge All Too Well fan to begin with. So I right. think that's why I'm very, very happy to hear that it stuck with you like that because I do appreciate it so much. And I totally agree that it's like this collage of like yeah. um, pieces of PR relationships kind of just like morphed into one. Yeah. And now that you brought up the SNL performance, I think we talked a bit about this, but the lighting changes in the performance oh, I know, and the way that that could potentially signify like lyrics being written recently versus in 2011 or like mm. different um, parts of her life I think like it goes mm -hmm. from red to blue to I think like a purpley pink so all of those different lighting changes in the verse changes during that performance mm -hmm. I definitely noted that because at the end during that whole sad ass verse about the city's barren cold and everything yeah when it starts snowing on stage when yeah. it starts snowing and it's blue that whole part of the song doesn't even sound like a part of red to me at all it sounds exactly. it sounds like evermore it sounds like a yes. post evermore like moment I mean, that's exactly the thing i am hoping to god that the vibe of the last three minutes of the 10 minute version is what her 10th album is going to sound like I think i'm a woodville that, truther yeah of course would imagine if it's woodville that's like full circle you know how like a lot of times fans will speculate on things and then it's almost as if she doesn't do them because fans have like figured her out yeah i feel like woodvale would be the opposite where it's like okay now i will name it woodvale because none of you are expecting it now yeah like how she said i think it was in jimmy fallon or seth myers one of those two interviews that night and she was like i listened to them she was like the music videos that they say that we never got the singles that they say we never got i'm doing it all i'm doing it all and i'm like okay woodvale feed the woodvale truthers like yeah so i loved i like i just loved it's so true it's post evermore i mean they sound so reminiscent of a 1960s teenage heartbreak song. Um, yeah, like at like, prom. 
Yeah, like a I was left at prom or like my boyfriend died on a motorcycle while I was at mm. prom or just something like that. And just that repetition of I was there, I was there. Oh, I wish I could listen to the last three minutes just like on its own, honestly. Me it's too. so good. Oh, that would, yeah, that would become my favorite Taylor song if that was the case. Oh, but while we're on the topic of the last three minutes, I also do think the last three to four minutes of the short film is... <sighs> I have a lot to say about this and I made a TikTok already kind of explaining it because I could not wait. I was so antsy. I was like, I can't wait to talk about this in the podcast. Like, yeah, so it was amazing. Let me just set the scene for you all. Madison made this TikTok that was so necessary. It literally was like Gaylor's emergency meeting and then went over all of the gay everything in Taylor's rollout. It was like so succinct, so quick and so necessary because a lot of us were not feeling good. And that was exactly why I I made it. I was like, I can't wait to talk about this because I saw the Gaylor Reddit. I saw the TikToks. Everyone was so distraught and traumatized over the short film. The Gaylers, at least, is what I'm referring <laughs> to, of course. And I was too, but honestly, the first time I watched it, I noticed all of these things and I was like, oh, she's still feeding us. They're just crumbs in this. So yeah, after like the 10 or 11 minute mark of the film, she breaks up with the man in the film and she's at this like art gallery party thing. It almost looks like everyone's drinking champagne, wearing black. This was like the last scene we see of young Taylor and it's actually her walking around this gallery looking at all the women there's like four shots of different women and at the end of the film in the credits those actresses are named as the dream girls of the film so you know it'll be like her is Sadie and then him was Dylan and then the dad and then Taylor and then it's like the dream girls and those were all the girls at the gallery oh I would do anything to know what like what that means in Taylor's mind to me it means you know this was her possibly realizing her queerness and walking around this place and being like these are all dream girls to me and then her kind of realizing wait why are these dream girls I am attracted to women question mark like that's really what it gave me especially because that is the last clip we see of young Taylor in the film and it's the clip directly after her breaking up with a man so we see her walking around looking at these women and it cuts immediately to present day Taylor with the red hair not present Um, day 13 years later yeah 13 years later Taylor sorry the different chapters are so interesting too so it cuts to her we see her putting on like an earring in a mirror and then the camera literally pans to the left over to a picture frame on her wall and the photo is of a blonde woman sitting on like a cliffside it's giving the lakes like it's giving i bathe in cliffside pools with my glamorous love and it's this photo of this woman like her back facing the camera and she's looking out at this cliff and then it pans right back over to taylor and to me that signifies taylor ended up with a woman taylor ended up with a picture frame on her wall of a woman and after that scene of her being confused at the party, walking around heartbroken, looking at the women, these dream girls, now she ended up with one. And Yeah, and it's worth noting that, I mean, the woman in the photo is blonde, but Taylor's character is not blonde. She has red yeah. hair in it, so it's not a like self-portrait or like a vacation photo of her. Mm-hmm. It's definitely of another woman. And that was my first thought, too. I was like, oh, maybe it's a photo of Taylor on vacation she's remembering or something. And then I was like, no, she's blonde, and she's specifically red hair in this film for a reason Mm -hmm. that's an intentional choice but then it cuts to her book release now the book cover we've seen it we all think it looks like the giving tree right off the bat at least for me did you think the same i actually immediately thought of a contemporary uh novel that came out a few years ago called an american marriage it's a pretty like hard devastating book about a modern day black couple who it's a straight couple and the man in the relationship gets falsely accused 
of a crime and then has to go to jail and then they get a divorce when they're in jail and then it's kind of like the fallout of them breaking up and like what that means to be married in America and I read the book a few years ago when it came out and um I was like so interesting that the cover looks so similar to this I can't for the life of me figure out if that would be purposeful or what that would mean but I would love to hear some takes on that I didn't even know about that book that's so interesting I need to look Mm -hmm. into that because when I immediately saw it all I saw was the giving tree to me that also fits with the narrative of like Taylor constantly giving this like narrative and giving because the scarf is hanging from the tree not an apple it's a scarf so it's like she's giving this narrative to the public talk about devastating books literally just a tree being used and used and used with no thanks given and that's how I totally Uh, see Taylor's career yeah so that's why it fit for me but then someone else later pointed out I don't remember who it was so I'm sorry to the person that originally found this but they pointed out that it looks like the original Alice in Wonderland book cover and it absolutely does like the same color blue and everything it's quite undeniable actually especially with her Wonderland references that she said on Fallon like she's definitely pointing us towards the rabbit hole a little bit so with that though she also is selling or was selling her merch drops have been happening so quickly I couldn't even tell you how long this was on her website but she was selling a all too well journal which looked like the book the novel from the short film and it was an empty journal obviously because you can write in it (laughs) and on the cover it said all too well a novel and if we look at the definition of novel a novel is a fictitious story loosely based on real events so it could have real characters real situations but the story itself might have fiction kind of in it so it also kind of reminds me of folklore a bit just like the love triangle and how it's fiction but it could also very well be based on a real situation looking at the fact that she was selling a journal with the book cover on it and it said a novel it immediately symbolically to me thinking as if I were Taylor's brain it's like I'm gonna let the fans continue to write this novel that they started in the first place this all too well story this narrative that's been built around this song for the past 10 years they can continue to write the story in this journal I was so relieved to know that she was selling those as journals you know we could go on and on about her merch and um the way that like her team pumps it out but in the case of the all too well merch the fact that like she made a fuck the patriarchy keychain and an all too well journal says to me that the song is referencing someone that she's with having a fuck the patriarchy keychain instead of you know the alternate description which is tossing me the car keys fuck the patriarchy keychain on the ground instead it's like the fuck the patriarchy keychain was on the ground and then with the journal similarly it's like guess what this was all a fictionalization of all of these like mythos surrounding me and my romantic life and now it's your turn I made the 10 minute version this mythical thing that no one was sure really existed gardens of Babylon of music if you will I created this and now it's your turn to really take it from here and that is really echoed in all the ways that she's been talking about this song in the media too you know saying like it's now mine because it's taylor's version and she owns it but it's 
always been ours. Like, yeah. obviously those could be Speak Now Easter eggs. That Speak Now is the next album coming up. Just taking it as face value, she's like, this song has never been just a private diary entry. It's always it's been never just piece- been about me. Never. This isn't like just ripped from her own life. This is something that she created for consumption as put out into the world because she's a storyteller. This is making me think a lot too, the whole novel thing and like the storytelling. It's making me think so much about how when Folklore came out, it was like Taylor Swift shows a new side of herself writing about Mm -hmm. fiction and storytelling, something she's never done before. And like when Folklore came out was when I was starting to get back into my Taylor, Mm -hmm. you know, like Swifty era and I remember just being like what do you mean she's never written storytelling before that's her whole bit like yeah even if even if she's writing based on her real life these are stories that she's telling regardless so I think it's really interesting for Red to kind of be this full circle moment of the general public realizing you know she's been writing stories since 10 years ago this folklore wasn't her first time getting into the narrative writing and that's her whole strength as a songwriter is telling a whole story and like that's why she was in country music she talks about it in Long Pond so it's really interesting for that whole like thing to be brought up again and you said like a mythical thing it reminds me so much of willow and the tree on the cover reminds me of willow and how um at the end of the willow demo recording she says that's my myth instead of that's my man in the last that's my man she said that's my myth and then she goes to emphasize that she's saying myth and it makes me think that she one day will write a book honestly that's why i brought up the 13 years later thing Mm -hmm. i swear madison i have like really gone down a like free britney level conspiracy theory with this like tell all she's going to release it's hard not to yeah i mean why did she choose to have the end of the video end of the short film be 13 years later when that would be two years from now from 2021 the reality is is that if you look at the the video the film itself is so anachronistic like you truly don't know what year it takes place they're in a Mm -hmm. 1989 car but sadie has like a modern iphone so it didn't take place 13 years ago because of the modern iPhone but at the same time it's like what happens 13 years later at the end of the film it's not like that is obviously 13 years in the future from today either exactly yeah it's all very you know not certain in time I have to think that by saying 13 years later she's indicating to us that like maybe when her re-records are done like assuming that in two years all of her re-records will be done um Maybe like a contract that she's under will be over. I'm not really sure, but I think that like she's really indicating that there's a time limit that that she's like clicking, waiting down till. Yeah, there's definitely a like some sort of deadline or something. Yeah. Something ending at some point. And it really does sound like a contract or like NDA type of situation, maybe. Or and maybe this will be a tell-all book. Maybe this will be a novel based on her life, but she'll she'll frame it in the same way she has folklore and like all this narrative talk of like I wrote this book and it's about this fictional story like please relate it to me in any way you can I blink if I need help like that's the type of vibe I'm getting from this book with the free Britney thing too it's so interesting I'm 100% sure this was not intentional because how could it be but Britney was freed the same day that Red came out I'm pretty sure right or the same two-day yeah. span I'm sure that was not planned how can you plan 
than that. But it was a huge, huge moment for Britney Spears and for pop culture. And then this re-release was also a huge moment for Taylor and like her era of pop culture. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder a lot. I mean, also, they're both Sagittarius, as we talked about that on the first episode and how their careers have paralleled each other so much. So it's really it doesn't seem off track at all to really evaluate Taylor being in a similar kind of like binded situation to Britney. Maybe not as intense. Maybe as intense. We really don't know. We really don't know. And like that's what's important to remember is that a few years ago even just two years ago everyone in the general media looked upon the like free Britney truthers as deranged and paranoid and conspiracy theorists. Conspiracy yeah and i mean now we all know the truth that free britney was right it only took like four netflix documentaries for people to realize you know yeah i don't know i just there's so much that i mean even as we go on and talk about the i bet you think about me music video uh the very first night like there's so much secret coding that is so incessant and so purposeful and again just so prolific like it's it's a barrage of Mm. clues about like queerness that i just really am interested to know like how this is going to end up and when it's going to come to a boil i've definitely gotten to a point where i think if she is going to come out in a very official way to the general public it will be after the re-records so that she can get the accolades that she got before with the original drops of these albums and more um meaning catering to the fan base that doesn't want her to be gay just as much as she caters to gaylers and we see that in this rollout we just talked about that the duality of her like feeding the gaylers while also feeding the headlers so yeah just it really does make me think that by the end of these re-recordings is when she will be ready or when she's planning to be more public about it but even then i really don't know i i hope it's not just easter eggs for the rest of her life unless that's what she wants it to be but yeah i mean if that's what she wants fine but she has a duty to tell me personally the truth i i do expect a personal letter um (laughs) signed and dated with official certification letting me know that she is queer but until then i will settle for easter eggs i'm just We had to get the 10 minute version out of the way to talk about like the real treats that we've received. No, yeah. I wanted to soothe everyone with the all too well because I know that was traumatizing. Like, let's just, let's just soothe that wound really quick. Also, just to mention, it was very triggering to anyone that has been manipulated yes. or gaslit in that way or talked down to or been in an age gap relationship. Those are the thoughts on the all too well short film. But now to the real tea. The moment that I heard Red TV, the only thing I could think about, even though all the vault tracks are fantastic, the only thing I could think about for hours, for days, was the very first night. I still can't (laughs) stop thinking about it. I wasn't expecting that song of all songs to be the one to have the hold on me that it does. I was expecting, I was expecting Run to have a hold on me because it sounded gay Mm, and it does sound gay. I mean, the very first night started a whirlwind on TikTok. Like people are seeing the light because of this song, because of the rhyme scheme. I was about to say that. Yeah. There are people who used to be Hitlers that Mm -hmm. are now 
now just kind of like generally vague. Yeah, I've seen tweets that are like, you know what? The Gaylers have a point. It does sound better with her. It's just, it's been really quite something to witness. It really has. And I'm not tooting my own horn by any means because there were people, (laughs) listen, there were people that pointed this out before I did on the Reddit. And I don't have your usernames, but just know that I see you. I see you. I saw you pointed out like 10 minutes after it dropped. Like I saw it. And I made a TikTok the next morning. And the only things under that sound now on TikTok, under the official sound for the very first night, are talking about the rhyme scheme and talking about her being gay. It's amazing. It was really like a wave, like all of us heard it at the same time, right when it came out. And then all of us were like, oh my God, that sounds like it's supposed to be her. So yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, in the vault track, the very first night, there's a chorus rhyme scheme that essentially has an AABC rhyme scheme and it sounds very uh unnatural uh to say the least you really listen to it expecting an AABB rhyme scheme but instead the word picture which you're expecting to be rhymed with her is or even with, yeah like that's yeah. the thing Exactly. It's rhymed with you. Wait, can you just go over the lyrics? So I think it's the pre-chorus. She says, they don't know about the night in the hotel. They were riding in the car when we both fell. Didn't read the note on the Polaroid picture. They don't know how much I miss you. Not, they don't know how much I miss ya. No, not ya. You. You. It's It's jarring. it's, It's such a hard you that it's jarring. Yeah, exactly as you said, it's jarring. It feels like an amazing flag, like a gay flag. Opposite of a red flag, a gay flag. This is Taylor Swift, one of the best songwriters of our generation. She would have at <laughs> least, if even if she didn't want people to hear it, even if it was supposed to be her and she didn't want people to hear it, she would have said, they don't know how much I miss ya. And that rhyme with picture. Picture, yeah. It would be close enough. But she specifically like made it abrasive to listen to by saying you, you, mm-hmm. to the point that even people who weren't gaylers heard it and were talking about it. So there is there's an article by Slate online and they OK, they included my TikTok of talking about the lyrics in the article. But they also mentioned something so interesting that I think will make people understand it more. In Mr. Brightside, for example, the song by The Killers, how he says, now I'm going to bed and my stomach is sick and it's all in my head and, and she's, she's touching, touching his, his chest. chest. A different word would rhyme with sick and it's all in my head and she's touching his chest. chest. And that was a very intentional thing that everyone caught on to at the time, that it was like a funny little, a quick little U-turn from that. And that's yes. exactly what it sounded like in this song, too. I love that they brought that up in the article, like another reference to this actually happening in music to be purposeful. I have heard so many Hetlers bring up two points. One, that it's a very common thing, especially like, you know, Shakespeare made it very popular to purposefully mislead you to point something out. So it's not not unusual um like obviously there's the killer song but it's not unusual for words to not rhyme to really point it out to you the hetler explanation for this is like you in the song 
is so important that she focuses all of her energy on you to really bring out the significance of that person. And then the other critique of it. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I would argue that that is true. And it's because it's a girl and she. That's why there's an emphasis. Yeah, that's why there's an emphasis. It's about a woman. And then the second critique uh, or rather explanation of it is that it's not the right tense to be her. So the whole time it's in second person, like we, so it wouldn't be her because she says you and we earlier in the song. And to that, I'm just like, have you ever heard one of her songs before? She is I was just going to say what, between tense constantly, constantly. And that's kind of the, what Gaylers have been saying for years. So thank you for pointing yeah. that out. How, exactly. She's been saying he and you as separate entities for years. So I'm glad they're realizing something. But exactly. Just dig a little bit, a little bit deeper to the fact that she does this very often. And there's a point to it. And also just the context of the song. Like I, I'm all for uh, men and women being besties, being friends. And I'm all for gender not even being a real thing to begin with really Mm -hmm. for us to like base our Mm -hmm. friendships off of that and you know of course but the song doesn't sound like a song about a 22 year old girl hanging out with her group of friends that are that includes men and getting kind of left in a hotel room with one of the guys and and they don't know what happened when they left like actually I'm pretty sure everyone would assume if that were the friend group that if they got left alone something would happen like it's very it doesn't sound like a straight scenario at all it doesn't sound like oh our friends don't know what's happening between the two of us like exactly I mean that really goes for every single Taylor Swift song maybe not every single one but like all of her songs about secrecy and about like hiding and how people don't know like no offense, but everyone knows, like, if a straight couple is together. Like, no, yeah. that's not secret. Her relationships with men are front and center in the media. Like, there's no delusion about, like, no one knows about us. Like, I don't know how people can put on these, like, assumptions of very well-known, well-documented, and I put documented with quotes around it, relationships of hers with men and are like oh that song about secret love about no one understanding no one knowing knowing no one can find out about us that must be about this documented heterosexual relationship i've heard of that doesn't that make was reported on in every news outlet every single day yeah like, even if the relationship was deeper in private than they showed in the pr or whatever there's the, that's not what she's writing about it's no. just simply not it doesn't add up i also noticed the kind of like peter panish reference which Mm -hmm. I think we talked about in the last episode. She loves to talk about Peter Pan and like not growing up. And she said like, I wish I could fly. I'd pick you up and we'd go back in time. And it really just makes me feel like she's Peter Pan picking up Alice. Like, I wish Mm -hmm. we could go back in time together and whatever. Alice, you mean Wendy? Oh my God, Wendy. Yeah, sorry. I'm getting all the stories. crossover Peter Pan, Alice and Wendy. That would be beautiful though. No, it's okay. We all know why you thought of Alice. So don't worry. But it also reminded me of Cardigan is what I was going to say is like Peter losing Wendy and being young. And I feel like she could be singing about the same relationship at that point, to be quite honest. Also, the very first night is just a banger. There's no other reason that um, they didn't want it on the album other than the fact that it sounded gay, I'm sure. Because that would have been... Can you imagine if that song came out in 2011, 12 with Red? It would have been a hit. It fit with the pop at the time. There's no other reason that 
her team didn't want it on the album other than the fact that it didn't fit her PR relationships at the time and it didn't fit with her narrative and the her pronouns were too jarring I agree I mean the fact that girl at home would be on the deluxe album and not the very first night doesn't make any sense of girl at home like can we talk about it I just cannot believe she made a like okay does your local radio station do that thing where like at 11 p.m they start playing club remixes of random songs sometimes yeah yeah so literally it's like okay so she just released the like kiss fm club version i was just i was literally just about to say the kiss fm version of girl at home and i don't know (laughs) if she's planning on making that a single or if she really just did it for shits and giggles like she was just like this song is so camp i have to make it more camp i kind of love it though it was a nice little surprise when i was listening to the album because everything was pretty much the same it was just that when i heard it i was just like she really said charlie xcx i'm coming for your brand like it was so funny i also was obsessed with all of the edits on tiktok that people started making of the very first night editing in her yes it's so fun it's so fun i know i feel so in community like right now because everyone is talking about it and everyone is like just the joy that everyone is expressing singing along her instead of you is so beautiful so yeah i just want to give a shout out to on reddit user taurus moon 1141 made an amazing version that you can download so go over to the gayler subreddit and you can find that and that's taurus moon 1141 really really amazing thank you to them they Um, always bring great points too in the discussion i always see their username yeah and Um, i love that it's taurus moon too what a great username for us to shout out (laughs) i know i'm like yes astrology friend yeah while we're on the topic of reddit i want to shout out the fact that there have been like 2,500 new Gaylers joined the subreddit since Red's release. Yes, in the last two weeks. I just have been watching the numbers go up every day and it actually makes me like shake with excitement because the whole point, what we said in the first episode was like, we just want queer people to like experience her music and enjoy it in the same way that straight people have gotten to. And that's finally what we're getting. That's why the very first night edits are like such a community thing because everyone's just like dancing around, like being like, they don't know how much I miss her, like enjoying this gay moment all together. Like this huge part of pop culture history, Taylor Swift somehow being involved in like the queer discourse in general is just so fun and like uplifting yeah well speaking of the response so I was like really shaken to find out that Jaden Bartels um do you know who they are they're like a tiktoker oh my god I sound so old um but they're on tiktok and they're like a youtuber apparently you sound old I don't even know who this is <laughs> well okay I only know about it for one reason and it's um they were in the man music video um oh. Taylor's the man music video yeah they made a tiktok with the edited her version of the very first night someone in the comment section wrote this is the Gaylers version and Jaden Bartels responded, Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. That's someone like close to Taylor acknowledging. I love Um, that she also just hasn't acknowledged this vault track at all. I also love that. Um, because she obviously is on Swift Talk, uh, Mm -hmm. Taylor herself. Like she is notorious for going through Swift Talk tag on TikTok. She said it herself. 
Yes. She said she's lurking all the time on TikTok, watching everyone's theories. And who else is making theories other than Gaylers? Just wondering. They are? I don't want to hear them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that just might be more about your and my uh, For You page than whether yeah. they exist or no, not. No, <laughs> I've definitely seen the other the other theories. They're just not as interesting to me, but go off. Of course I appreciate them. them anyways. I still watch them. Um, oh, that's nice. No, I, I do. I like to hear... <laughs> No, I like to hear their other perspectives so that I can change it and make it better. I'm just like, I'm very unbiased. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but yeah, she just hasn't acknowledged this vault track like um, at all. Or the fact that the entire sound, like if you click on it on the fucking TikTok app, it's all gay people and it's hilarious. But yeah, the very first night is definitely, I'm crowning it as the gayest vault track in my opinion. So far. Until. Until. Okay, so little backstory just for like shits and giggles me and katie were texting like a week ago um prior to i bet you think about me coming out like the music video and we were both getting really antsy and impatient about releasing um this episode and recording it and we were like are we recording it too late like are the red tv is the red tv hype gonna be over no one's gonna want to hear about it by the time we release this episode and record it we both just decided like we'll just wait we need to like still have time to process all of this mm. maybe there's more that we'll find as we listen and whatever and then she drops i bet you think about me the music video probably like two days later yeah right thank after god this. thank god thank god we didn't record before then talk about a gift like talk about taylor as our little mother bird Mm-hmm. feeding us she said here's y'all's scarf here's the gayler scarf so this music video i mean if you haven't seen it please just watch it and just think about the gayness and you'll see it even if you don't want to even so, if uh, you don't want to see it you'll see it <laughs> no that's the point that she's at now she's like i don't care if you don't want to see it i don't care if you won't, don't want to hear the pronouns you're going to anyways you're going to hear her because that's what rhymes but the music video I have so many thoughts. I have so many thoughts about this music video. So immediately the promo videos was of this like cake and like her grabbing a chunk of the cake. And um, in the video, she like eats the cake for a really uncomfortable amount of time. The camera's like on her chewing this cake. Is that just me? (laughs) Like it goes on for like three seconds too long of her just like staring into the camera, eating this cake, looking like she was caught, like guilty. I just want to make it very clear on Urban Dictionary. It does say that eating cake is a reference to um, giving oral to someone with vagina. So I just... Mm. I want to make that clear. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, the thing about her eating that fistful of cake is that... (laughs) It just sounded so, like, clinical. The thing about her eating the fistful of cake. The thing about that. (laughs) The thing about that is that she first looks super defiant. Mm -hmm. And she's, like, smug. Like, yeah, I did just get that cake. And then... It immediately transitions into classic Taylor being like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I don't know. Which I just am like, what an interesting series of emotions. It's like we're seeing her go from her like reputation era, like I'm a bad girl and I'm okay Mm -hmm. with it to like, oh, just kidding. I'm a like Facebook aunt who is uh, a clinic, like a chronic millennial. And and now I have cake all over my face.
face like yeah exactly totally it's she's so guilty like she looks straight into the camera like breaks the fourth wall and is like oh oh um also her knocking off the groom on the cake that to me is like is the kind of like evidence that i'm just like wow how are straight people taking this like i guess i tried i've been trying really hard to think about the straight perspective of this like or rather Mm. what i should say is like the heteronormative take on it like the idea that it couldn't possibly be gay so i guess like it would be that she wants to get with the groom and she's just like being nice to the bride yeah and she's like she's i i totally tried to see it from the heteronormative perspective too and it's like i'm mad at you for marrying her i'm not mad at her because she's just marrying you yeah it's like a feminist thing yeah like exactly so and that's her thing she's so good at catering to both because she's like Mm. playing along with the heteronormative thing also trying not to be toxic or like given to like the patriarchy either by like by being mad at the bride but um she's like knocking the groom over like no you were supposed to marry me and you're not so it's your fault not her fault necessarily but it's also gay with the context of everything else so she does the thing is it's like the groom in it played by miles teller who i can't like just pretend that didn't happen he Um, looks like someone he looks like he looks like someone i don't i can't put my finger on it but he looks like someone (laughs) i think i think you all know where my finger is going when i'm trying to put it on who it is i just can't quite but anyway so in it the groom he the whole music video is terrified to see her and it's not terrified like oh no my ex yeah Uh, it's it's terrified like oh this woman is about to ruin my wedding like he's not like oh no she's gonna cause a scene it's like oh no she's going to make sure this doesn't happen oh no she's going to steal my wife yeah like like i'm not going to be able to marry this woman if she's with around. her being here yeah yeah it's like it's so in general it just reads as so anti-institution of heterosexual marriage which is mm-hmm. like amazing like in general all the people at the wedding look and read super queer there's like mm. only gender non-conforming people there there's a literally like someone in a skirt using a urinal in the beginning like i loved that yeah yeah i loved that too and in general like everything just really reads the fact that everyone is in white you know when the traditional straight marriage trope is like don't, don't wear, wear white, white to wedding yeah, the bride needs to be the only pure virginal one. So do mm-hmm. not wear white to a wedding. Um, but everyone's wearing That's white. That's a great point, yeah. Color. Like, it's a very anti-straight marriage, um, mm-hmm. just in its aesthetic and, and costuming and everything. But more than that, she is the red, like, plague, like the red mask of death. She literally is the plague coming upon heterosexuality. I was talking about it with my best friend, Sean who is a getting his PhD in film studies and he was like yeah this is literally like the the red mask of death like Mm -hmm. this is literally Taylor coming in as a specter of 
queerness and ruining everyone's heterosexual good time. Yeah. She had a marvelous time ruining everything at that wedding. That's she that's really exactly did. right. Very Rebecca Harkness. No, yeah. And I totally that perspective is exactly what myself and my friends picked up on too watching it all together. Like it just seemed like she was just like spreading this queer agenda at this wedding and like dying everything red and like like back to how he wasn't fearful of her ruining the wedding or anything it was more so like she's gonna ruin this marriage type of deal Mm -hmm. she's gonna want the bride at the very beginning he's like literally following her around the wedding like keeping an eye on her making sure that she doesn't go near the bride and it's so interesting because I don't know how that can be read in a heterosexual way because I don't either if if he didn't want her there because she wanted him, why would he be following her around? Exactly. He'd be avoiding her. And that's yeah. what the bride was doing. Because she would be like trying to get with him. Instead, yeah. she's trying to ruin his life. And he's following her around yeah. trying to make sure she's not re- like, it's so crazy. And also not to mention that the icing on the cake looks like some a pair of titties the icing that she like swipes her finger across yes. and takes a little bite um, I know someone One pointed of the that out on Twitter clues ever yeah and I don't know if that was a coincidence I doubt it was because it just looks like a pair of titties hanging off the cake like there's no other seriously and then of course the part where she gives her all too well scarf to the bride Amazing. Katie I have no words like I really don't after the either. all too well trauma like what what was she trying to do I really it makes me question so much about All Too Well and the scarf and just everything. And I'm like, my mind goes a million different directions. I'm like, was the scarf a real part of the story, but it was actually a woman's scarf or like it was her scarf of hanging out with a woman and All Too Well back 10 years ago? Was it the fact that she's trying to say the scarf wasn't real to begin with and that now she's making it real? I don't know. I don't. Or was it just simply to point out that she wanted the bride? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, I just have been thinking so much about apparently, like I I found out in a very distanced way, tangentially, that Swifties and Hitlers believe that this scarf represents virginity. Um, That is the most disturbing thing I've ever heard coming from a 10 minute song that literally says fuck the patriarchy in it. I mean, I know I am so far removed from straight people in my own life. And like, I mean, literally when I went to college, I went to a women's centered college and was surrounded by like queer feminists in my women's studies program. So I'm very disconnected from like straight ways of thinking. So when I was told that it's very common to speculate on Taylor's virginity. I was like kind of sick for like a day thinking about it because I just don't understand like the bubble that I'm in and how it can be so different from the rest of the world where like virginity is something that's still seen as so transactional and as if it's a tangible thing that exists as if someone can have virginity or not have virginity and And if it's as if it's a thing worth giving a symbol worth giving a tangible symbol in a song exactly as if it's something that's like so precious and like oh it just makes me sick to my stomach and and to have them thinking that in all too well it's like and you still keep that scarf and it's oh, like God. so you so what you're implying is that taylor believes that this person that you associate the song with is still holding on to a fake part of her 
I know. It's it's just disgusting. Like, so coming at this from the queer perspective means to inherently reject the a value put on the concept of virginity and any sort of like seeing sexuality as a transactional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that context, giving the scarf to her like is basically like lesbian sex, any sort of queer sex, any sort of non-penetrative sex or at non-vaginal intercourse course among like anyone of any gender is inherently seen as like not sex and not worthy of losing your virginity i mean think about all of the sort of like christian like uh loopholes that people try yeah, to like do. the ways that they they have sex but don't call it sex because it's not penetration exactly exactly um like think about that and how for people of in queer relationships regardless of gender that kind of means that queerness negates virginity and if the scarf equals having sex having intimacy being in a sexual romantic relationship giving that to the wife and having the wife or the bride excuse me giving that to the bride and having the bride literally start crying holding on to this scarf the one red thing in this like entire white room it's like when she's marrying this man and fulfilling the heterosexual fantasy it's the memories of like queerness in her life and queer intimacy that she's clutching onto and holding onto and taylor is there this specter of queerness being like it's not too late like you can still come back over you can still live in the red you can still live in the queerness outside of this like suffocating system and it keeps her warm it keeps her warm it's yes she's holding on to it because it's like this this symbol of warmth and comfort and this like safe haven this red safe haven in the midst of all of this like you said this like systemic weird institution of marriage that is so patriarchal rooted in patriarchy it just completely like diverts the attention away from what everyone was theorizing the scarf to be about and i saw quite a few tiktoks on my gayler curated for you page about this scarf being her virginity and it genuinely it makes me sick to think that swifties or just hetlers homophobic people in general think that it is think that speculating anything about her sexuality other than straight is is breaking a boundary somehow or is wrong or is creepy in some way yet them Mm -hmm. speculating about virginity a concept that isn't real and that is historically oppressive and controlling of women so for them to place that value on this fucking scarf from a song is honestly it's a huge reflection of our culture and it's very sad that there's so many women that that's where their mind went honestly it's it's it seems like a cop-out for me to say like all the people saying this are crazy blah 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 because it really is just the culture and the environment they grew up in that influenced them to have that perspective on it um which is even sadder but yeah it it was really weird thing it was a really weird thing to see when there's so much other symbolism and so much other things to discuss in this woman's discography why are we talking about her virginity it really it really goes to show how you know queerness is so inherently sexualized to so many straight people like the idea that just someone being openly gay around children is inappropriate. Um, And it's because straight people, their whole idea of 
straightness and being straight revolves around sex and the concept of virginity. So the idea that like someone else could be a sexual being and not and be able to talk about their sexuality in a way that's not tied to the act of having sex is unimaginable to them. Like to experience sex from a perspective that isn't the man's. To yes. experience sex for pleasure, to experience sex for fun and not as this sort of like requirement for love, marriage, relationship, heterosexuality. Yeah, to experience sex as something that is just intertwined in the fabric of your relationship and not an activity that you do mm-hmm. like for a f- like a half an hour on certain yeah. days. Like it's just so wild. That's like the other thing you know we could talk every episode and we probably will about just so many of the inherent aspects of taylor's music that ring true to queerness that Mm -hmm. like straight people just don't get and the fact that all of her songs about relationships are about like sexuality and intimacy in those relationships existing regardless of where they are like to have deep attraction and to feel deep connection just when you're out on the street and you can't even hold hands you looking at each other from across a crowded room like that's what sex and intimacy is for queer people it's like the nonverbal. yes that's a huge word i've been noticing in all of her music it's nonverbal everything and not not sometimes like not even like non-physical yeah like no action either yeah and that is so queer it's so sapphic because Mm -hmm. I mean like there's so many of us who we literally are not allowed to be openly queer without risk of like being arrested or you know being hate crime and yet it's still sexual because it's like we just know how to be sexual beings and to be intimate in public in private and like attaching labels contradictions yes without attaching labels and weird concepts like virginity and shit like that was never a question in any queer history about virginity because we can recognize that it wasn't ever really real yeah we don't know that line we don't it's very scripted out for yeah for heteronormative people it's like the script from the bible of like you know you have sex you get married and this and that this is how connection works but for for gay people it's been this like very underlying hidden just energy that we've had to feel all these years and still do even in a world where we're a lot more welcome to be open about it more welcome I don't say completely welcome oh no yeah but um but yeah that scarf was a huge huge indicator that obviously a she wanted the bride and b that their connection went beyond anything that could have been spoken or acted on it was just that simple little scarf that like showed all of the intimacy between those two and all of the the feelings and like the hold on to the memories like they'll hold on to you just just hold on to that and that is enough to get you through and you know I think it really thinking about what I said earlier about how all too well 10 minute version is essentially just an encapsulation of like the mythos of her relationships taking the scarf out of the song and into this other song um and giving it to a woman like I feel like that really just tailors like 
yeah, all too well isn't just about one relationship in my life. It's not just about Mm -hmm. one time in my life. All too well is something that now like encapsulates me as a songwriter and me as a a figure in like and as like a storyteller like yes this has just become a symbol of one story that I wrote that people latched on to it's also impossible for Hetlers or anyone like that doesn't see it the way that we do to say well this song is is a fictional story just you know how folklore was just it was narrative she's not actually singing about kissing a woman on the porch that was just Mm. a story come on now she's singing from a man's perspective this this video is the most that I've seen Taylor act like her full-blown self in years this is the most Taylor video I've ever seen fully she is singing from Taylor's perspective this is Taylor's version like oh I love that you said that Madison I think that's my favorite part of it too is like this is just Taylor like and the fact that one of her closest friends, like Blake Lively, directed it. And they I was both just had going this. to say that. It's it's undeniable that this is just exactly for face value what she wanted it to be. Like the other really telling part to me that kind of had my jaw on the floor the first time I watched this video and I kept noticing it from there on is that there's a part where they're standing on the dance floor and Taylor's standing across from the groom and the bride and there's a spotlight shining next to the bride the spotlight is not on the groom it's not on the bride it's not even on taylor it's shining next to the bride in an empty spot next to her and it implies that taylor wants to be standing in the spotlight next to the bride it just it really it really made me feel so sane you know it made me feel sad too because it kind of reminded me of like if she does want to be out to the media and to the general public she wants to stand in that spotlight and be proud to stand in the spotlight next to this bride and she's just simply not and can't she isn't stepping into that light she actually dances with the groom in that next scene and another thing i have to say about that let me know if you thought about this but in the opening scene of the music video she's looking in the mirror or miles teller's looking in the mirror and she shows up on the other side so he's Mm -hmm. looking at her that felt like to me the man's perspective she's been singing about wow yeah that felt like her revealing i am the man the man i mean how many more ways can she reveal it that like she is the man i mean she literally wrote a song called the man she literally Mm. dressed up as the man like she i i don't like i completely agree with you she is very kind of open at this point about the fact that like when she's singing from a man's perspective it's from her own perspective and like she is the man in the words of fletcher you know she's drinking an old-fashioned and a man's yeah. drink because she is the fucking man and even the words of jack antonoff in long pond he says i am that man i've been singing about like in a joking little way and it's so funny like the opening scene just totally the first thing i thought of was oh there's the man's perspective it's just yeah. her being the man again exactly um, and her wearing a suit too of course but then we see how the roses and after she dances with the groom and they like she walks away from him there's like shots of like roses and red growing on the bride's dress yeah and it's like it's like the bride is starting to like bloom into that red again and have those feelings all over again rejecting the like the heterosexuality and like the compet the color white represents in it the tradition that you talked about yeah yeah rejecting that by by going red you know what i just realized my wife and i when we got married both of us wore red wedding dresses is that like a queer thing or are we just uh, like rejecting now it is tradition because of, because of us and taylor it officially is Oh my God. And that just goes to show though. That's like a real life proof 
of you guys rejecting this like traditional idea of what marriage is as an institution and making it your own thing. I mean, that's why we wore red and not and of not course. white. That's why people do that because they're rejecting like uh, this weird tradition idea of like pureness. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting though. Exactly though. Like point further yeah. proven. But yeah, and then of course Taylor's dress turns red and she does the whole I bet you think about me. That mm. song grew on me. Me too. I really like Chris Stapleton's voice too. Me too. And it's it nice sounds amazing. Yeah, and it's so good to hear a guy giving back background vocals. I mean, that's what's great about Run too. It's like Ed Sheeran is is sitting in the back seat. And we get Phoebe on a verse, which was, I was going to uh, riot if that didn't happen, but. can't believe that we've been talking for like two hours and we have not even brought up nothing new. That really goes to show we thought like before Red came out that the Phoebe vault track would be everything, but Taylor gave us so much more. It's giving bait and switch. She was like, yeah, um, I'm going to make a song with a queer woman, but that's not going to be the one that's gay. All the other ones will be though. <laughs> Nothing new is fantastic. It's like the lucky one's sad little sister. Exactly. I could, I would love to go in depth about how I feel like the original All Too Well was broken up into like three different songs. Like that's how I really feel. I feel like All Too Well was broken up into All Too Well, Sad, Beautiful, Tragic, and um, Nothing New and The Lucky One, I think were probably originally the same, cut from the same cloth as well. I could totally see that. That's so interesting that you say that. And The Lucky One, I really, really was excited to mention this because Mm. Red came out the day Britney was freed, but The Lucky One, as we know, of course, always resembled Lucky by Britney Spears, which is a song about being famous and miserable. And the lyrics go, she's so lucky she's a star, but she cries every night or whatever. And that totally sounds like nothing new in The Lucky One. How she says, cry myself to sleep in nothing new. It literally sounds like Lucky by Britney Spears. Um, In The Lucky One's lyric video, though, it's the exact same like shot slash scene setup vibe of Lucky by Britney Spears that music video amazing yeah if you haven't seen the lucky uh, music video by Britney Spears it's classic it's literally one of the best things to come out of the early aughts yeah so go watch that for sure and you know the lucky one and nothing new are both very Evelyn Hugo Mm -hmm. like they're basically the plot of Evelyn Hugo so yeah and we got into a really great discussion about Evelyn Hugo at the Gaylor group on the 13th and people were kind of upset to find this out I haven't read the book um (laughs) I I know way too much about it because how can you be a gayler and not but yeah. i i'm gonna work on that and we will do a whole episode on that because we we certainly will um but yeah i really wanted to shout out the lucky one because i've always heard lucky in that song and just like that vibe of being famous and miserable all at once so the fact that she kind of confirmed it in the new lyric video that that's how she was feeling at that time that she wrote the song and could possibly still be feeling that way along with the context of what's going on with Britney right now it's not a long shot for us to question Taylor's autonomy at all I've just been thinking so much about her contract with 
you know, Big Machine and Scooter and how, you know, she put that plea out in 2019 on Twitter where she basically was like, they're not allowing me to perform at the AMAs because they're saying it will technically be in conflict with my contract that Mm -hmm. does say I'm allowed to re-record, but not until these certain years. And I don't know what to do. So I'm like, okay, so she has a contract that's been under negotiation with Big Machine Records, Scooter Braun, like whoever owns her masters. Like she clearly is in a contract with them. Who knows what contract she's in that she's not able to like publicly talk about? Like we really can't take any celebrity stories and like celebrity narratives. We can't take them at face value. Um, Like I think for our sanity, it's important to take things to at face value to a degree like no one should be speculating that like she's being tortured or abused or anything like that but like always keeping in the back of your head that no pop star no celebrity that you know you don't know the whole story and you don't know their whole life and I mean that's kind of what it all comes back to with like why you and I are doing this podcast Madison is because we Mm -hmm. want to interpret her work based on how it makes us feel and like the queerness that we feel resonates in it just like how people talk about their favorite artists x y and z what they mean to them because they see shared identities like Mm -hmm. there's a difference between realizing that she is in a very like complicated position that will never know her whole life and also being like I see this and I need to name it and when you think about it what pop star that we have later on found out the whole story what pop star's story ever lined up with what was happening in the media exactly when we think about people like Britney Spears people like Michael Jackson Amy Winehouse house Whitney Houston all yeah, I was gonna these... say Whitney a- another like queer artist you know who no like... one ever suspected all of the things they were going through but later on we found out it was all true so not only that but we found out later that Whitney was like not at all ashamed of her sexuality and like out queer and out bisexual or you know like without a label but like she was openly fluid and in her sexuality Mm -hmm. but obviously that couldn't have been part of her public narrative and there Mm -hmm. was no disconnect for her about it in particular I just like do people want to negate her queerness I it would be horrific for people to negate Whitney Houston's queerness now like even though she wasn't openly queer when she was alive but yeah that's why these conversations are so important and like this podcast and just all of the conversations around Taylor because you really don't know what if she what if she really is sending all these I mean she is she's sending all these signals like I I'm done taking it as like a theory at this point it's like it's really not if I don't think calling queer people's amazingly put thoughts ideas analysis I don't think calling all of that theory is fair it's just as much theory as the things that the media talks about then and that her straight bands talk about then that's all theory too if that's what we're going with it's really not fair to to call like gayler conversations or queer interpretations like this crazy conspiracy like taylor swift could be gay no at this point it's that's gaslighting us at this point to really say that to really believe that what we're saying is just like a crazy coincidence of easter eggs that we've all put together with our crazy gay brains yeah stop she literally said she tweeted the bride was willing to risk it all that thank you for bringing that up on the music video what a better way what better way to end this the bride 
bride willing to risk it all you hear that the bride what else did i really need to like get into in this episode oh what the charts katie let's get into it really quick yeah i don't even know where to start with the star charts big shout out again of course to my wife lizzie she was up till 1 a.m I realized this morning, just looking up star charts for like the red release. Um, oh my God. Thank she, you, Lizzie. I know. Thank you, Lizzie. Um, So she looked up the original red release. We found out it came out October 22nd, 2012. It was technically officially released at the iHeartRadio release party in New York City. Because Taylor was in New York City at the time, and that was where the release party was, we uh, calculated it from new york at midnight um and it was on itunes at the time like it was released on itunes so again midnight i think is like pretty fair and then the current one of course we did november 12th 2021 also at midnight in new york city because that's where taylor was when it came out okay so the findings of these charts next to each other it's kind of unreal can you go into a little bit because you definitely are more familiar with i mean i'm very familiar familiar with astrology but you're more familiar with astrology than I am these charts are based on the like we said the dates of the releases of these two albums so it'll show the original one released October 22nd 2012 was during Libra season which means the sun was in Libra the most recent Red Taylor's version was released during Scorpio season so the sun was in Scorpio if we look at the rest of the planets during that time they were also all in signs that came after one another so with the sun being in libra for the original red release directly after libra is scorpio meaning she probably intentionally released these albums to be in the sign after the original sign yeah of the original release think about the order of the zodiac she planned it specifically for all of the planets to be in the next sign in the order not in the same sign that they were in for the original release but in the one directly after and that goes for the sun the moon mercury venus they are all in the sign directly after it's which to me symbolically represents growth when i think about this as an astrologer from that perspective if i were taylor swift's astrologer this makes sense This makes so much sense, I would say. This is something that's being released 10 years later. It needs to be bigger than it was before. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a step up. It needs to be on a different level than it was before. And how better to make it on a more mature, more growth. And once you get deeper into the Zodiac, it's more mature, right? So going from Libra season to Scorpio season, going from the moon being in Capricorn to Aquarius, the sign directly after. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with the Mercury and everything else. If you know anything about astrology and how like the Zodiac order works, like she genuinely elevated the album release yeah. with this by choosing this date she elevated to a whole nother level which is totally what ended up happening I mean this broke so many records like seeing the charts like this I was just blown away I mean either this is a truly cosmic coincidence I mean I don't really believe in coincidence because I believe like everything has meaning yeah that's like, still an alignment even if it, a yeah, coincidence, I mean, it's still some alignment it's of- unreal cosmic alignment and yeah. that was either unknown and just perfectly aligned with what happened or what your theory was Madison was that Taylor has an astrologer she's working with and she does this 
either way, it's unreal. Yeah, exactly. Even if she doesn't have an astrologer, she has no, not a bit of knowledge on astrology, doesn't have anyone on her team with knowledge of astrology. This yeah. was still in alignment for a reason. And mm-hmm. it still lines up so much with how the rollout ended up um, exactly. happening. But, you know, there's that stupid quote that's like from like JP Morgan. I don't even know if it was actually real, but the quote that's like millionaires don't have astrologers, billionaires do. And like, it's true. It's true that like rich people have astrologers and spiritual advisors because the occult is a very real thing. And money is an occult thing, meaning that when you are tied up with a lot of money, you're going to be tied up with a lot of dark stuff, which includes astrology at times and things having to do with um, magic and stuff. So rich people do things based off of astrology. I mean, we've seen um, Ariana Grande do it. I just said Ariana Grande. Um, (laughs) We've we've seen Ariana Grande do it before and she's said it openly. She's like, oh, it's a Taurus full moon and I'm a Taurus moon. So I'm releasing this right now. I don't know if that's word for word what she said, but like she's done it herself. And like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Taylor did the same thing. I mean, look at her. Like she's saying about being a Sagittarius before from the most symbolic, like astrological perspective ever. It would not surprise me if she has more knowledge on astrology than she um, comes off to have, even if she doesn't have an actual astrologer calculating this shit, which I think she does. I mean, I feel like, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, well, you know, it was originally supposed to be the 19th and then it changed. And Lizzie did look up the original date for the 19th, but I'm of the opinion that it doesn't actually matter. I I mean, again, it doesn't matter if this was planned or not. Like if this was Taylor's doing or, or just a cosmic alignment, like it's unreal that it's all shifted exactly one forward because it absolutely has represented a shifting in in Taylor in our culture. This is her grown now album. Um and it's amazing. And also the fact that this release specifically, the Fearless re-release didn't have this effect on the general public, but this release has. Act public is suddenly on her side again. Is that just me? Yeah. No, that's not just you. Yeah. This is another one of I mean this happens throughout her career. She goes through these cycles of like redemption, everyone hates her again. Redemption, everyone hates her again. And she's in one of her redemption arcs right now and it makes so much sense with this chart. I've looked at her birth chart in relation to these re-recordings before and there's huge themes in her birth chart for revi- like revival and for um like her re-recordings being this catapult into a whole new level of stardomship and a whole new level of like icon iconic yeah. what's the word I'm iconography yes iconography like and this chart lines up with that just as well as what I've yeah. looked for in her actual birth chart of like she was really meant as an artist as much as these re-recordings are terrible and the situation is awful she is setting a path for future artists and bringing so much awareness to the fact that artists don't own their work along with her own redemption arc as an artist and getting that recognition that she didn't get before like redoing this cycle in an elevated way which is exactly what it means with all these signs being elevated one it's just it's really it's such an exciting time to be a taylor swift fan to be like aware of the media and of art right now while she's kind of shifting the culture is like really really exciting i would go as far as to say it's one of the only highlights of this like bleak dystopia we're living in um any any of the one of the only like non like community-based highlights (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's so fun to, too, to, like, be a gayler and to see both sides. Because as much as we ignore the Hetlers, we do still see their perspectives, like, in the general public media and, like, Mm -hmm. everything like that. So it's so interesting to see both sides and to see her kind of playing the public, like, puppets and, like, playing this 
this game that we all know that she has played before, but this time she's going to win. And yeah. this time she's like doing it her way with her re-releases and her vault tracks and her thousands of merch drops. Get your coin, babe. Get your coin. Um <laughs> But yeah, if you guys are interested in looking at the birth charts, if you're like an astrology nerd like either of us, I would definitely look into the charts for October 22nd, 2012, as well as November 12th, 2021. And the, they look the same. They're just adjusted mm-hmm. a little bit, a little less chaotic this time. Uh-huh. Um, That's the thing. A little less chaotic. It's just crazy. It's cr- that I'm so glad that Lizzie looked into that because I didn't even think to for this episode. And <laughs> oh, it's so validating. It's so validating. <laughs> Okay, so on the next episode, we aren't 100% sure what we want to discuss yet. And we want to hear what you guys want us to talk about. So on the last episode, I don't know if you guys saw, I left a little like question toggle thing. I don't know the word for it, where you guys could answer what you wanted us to talk about on this episode. So on this episode, I'm going to leave a question asking what you guys want for the next episode. And it's going to be on Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify, you can see the question and answer it for me. Let me know what you're trying to hear for the next episode we are taking all and any suggestions no matter how niche and specific or general we really just want to know kind of what direction to go next especially since there's a lot been happening recently but there's Uh also a lot to talk about just like prior to the start of this podcast and prior to red taylor's version just uh tell us your wildest dreams uh for (laughs) what we could possibly talk about next this episode was so much fun. I think we definitely bounced around a lot, but there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to bounce around about. Yeah, I'm really excited to see like what your editing magic will do because I was truly all over the place for this episode. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. It's already been so fun. The first episode's only been out for one day and we've already gotten so much like good feedback. And Seriously. I'm so like, I'm glad to even have one listener, like genuinely from my heart. I didn't really think anyone would actually listen to this. I thought it was just going <laughs> to kind of be like our fun little project for me to like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like edit and like hyper fixate on and like have a good time with. But everyone else is having a good time. So let's fucking ride. So thank you guys. And we will see you in our next episode. Let us know what you want to hear. If you're on Spotify, please answer that question. I'm down for any and every suggestion. Yes, absolutely. Bye, everyone. Nailed it. Nailed it. Another one in the bag.